good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Great to be here with you. We are going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. So we've been in Philippians for a while, and today we actually make it to chapter 2. We've been in chapter 1 for, for a long time now. We've been into chapter 2, and this is a really um, important, uh, influential, let's say explosive section of the Bible. These 11 verses. Uh, so again, just review Philippians, a man in all of his life is radically changed by Jesus. He starts traveling throughout the world and, uh, to, to start churches, to make disciples, to start churches, to advance the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel. And Paul's burden was to go into influential cities and to plant churches in those cities so that as the gospel moved forward in that city, it would spread out throughout the surrounding countryside. So Paul, on one of his journeys, comes to the city of Philippi, which is a Roman colony. Uh, it's on the continent of Asia. It's influential. He, he goes there and he uh, begins to preach the gospel. Three very different people, uh, three very different lives. Excuse me, three very different people, three very different lives are transformed there. Um, a very wealthy person, Lydia, the Asian businesswoman, uh, and then this um, slave girl, a very poor and oppressed person from a very different social class, and then also the Roman jailer, this blue collar guy. So three very different people, the first church people, formed this first church plant uh, in Europe, in the city of Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. Uh, Paul now has been away from them for a short period of time, uh, I'm not exactly sure if it's maybe, maybe a year roughly, something like that. He writes a letter from prison. Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing a letter to this church that he loves, and he's continuing to shape this church. He wants to see this church grow, wants to see this church flourish, he wants to see this church have an expansive, expanding influence in the city of Philippi and in the surrounding region. And so we've gotten our way through chapter 1, where Paul has greeted them, Paul has begun to instruct the church. Now we're getting deeper into the short four-chapter letter, we come to chapter 2. And today in chapter 2, I want us to talk about, and think about this question of influence. Influence. How, as a Christian, can you have strong, significant, lasting influence? How can you have influence um, in your home, in your family? How can you have influence in your neighborhood? How can you have expanding influence in your workplace? Uh, how can you, as a church, have real influence in, in this city? Now, obviously, when we come to the Bible, we first want to understand the text in its historical context. We want to know what was Paul writing, what was Paul saying in, in the first century. You know, this letter was written probably roughly in the 60s uh, of the first century. Um, what was Paul saying to these people in the first century about influence? Um, and I want us to have this in mind as we come to influence. Um, in the first century, these people in the city of Philippi, Roman Connie, when they thought about leadership, when they thought about influence, when they thought about power, when they thought about bringing change, they, they really looked to, to the Romans. Uh, the Romans were the ones that so significantly influenced their city. They were under the rule of Caesar. They had a Roman Garrison or an army that guarded the city, surrounded the city. So they thought about influence. They thought, oh, it's, it's having that power, it's having those titles, it's having that prestige of the Romans. Naturally, they had influence as a person, or influence as a community. Paul wants to teach them, Paul wants to teach us a different way. So turn in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Today we're looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I don't 
that generation from me to say this. If God, and you can't do it by yourself, but if, if God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, could get these verses to come to life in your heart, and in the way you do relationships, and in the way you lead, uh, there would be a real significant impact that would flow through, through your life. Uh, because this is countercultural. Christianity is countercultural. You know that we live in a culture, just like these people lived in culture uh, back in the first century. And, and in Christianity, this is a counterculture. It calls us to be a people who are different, who come into and influence our culture in a different way. So chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, here we go. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now let me pause there before we continue reading. Well, what do you see there in those first four verses? That's pretty significant. In these first couple of verses, Paul is is calling the church, he's calling us to be of the same mind, okay, to sort of have unity of mind as the people of God. And you have the same love, unity in our love. Being in full accord with one mind, okay, that's significant. He's saying that you've got to, as a church, be fully united, be in full accord, have one mind. Is that always easy for churches and people to do? No. Okay, what, what is the church? The church is a symbol of, of, of what? People. It's a symbol of a bunch of people, a bunch of humans. Humans that have made lots of mistakes. A bunch of, a bunch of sinners. Today, this is your first day at Home Christ Church. And as you can say, welcome. Welcome to Home Christ Church. It's a community of uh, sinners being transformed by Jesus. Um, so your expectations here should be like, there's sinners here. You will get sinned against here. There will be difficulty. There will be conflict. That's what happens when a bunch of humans get together. It happens in every family. It happens in every church. It happens in every organization. Um, congratulations by joining and coming to this church today. Uh, you know, you just are contributing to the mess that this church. It's a beautiful mess. But you're contributing to that, to that mess. Relationships are messy and hard and difficult. And so Paul is calling this community of imperfect humans, of sinners, he's saying, have the same mind. Have the same unity. That's, that's difficult to do. Okay? And then, now, now, look at how difficult verse 3 is. I don't know if any of you feel like you just walk out here and start with pain. Verse 3. Do nothing, like nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit. Can anyone, you know, anyone drink great pain feel like you're really good at okay numbers? Anyone feel like you're great at that? Yeah, we don't have any hands raised. I'm not very good at all. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Really, this is looking bad. This is kind of like the epicenter of ambition. Uh, epicenter of selfish ambition, anyways. Live here, make a name for yourself, make impact, have your influence. But Paul says to do nothing from selfish ambition. Or, and I'm not saying that don't have 
have desires, we don't have dreams, we don't pursue this. He's not saying that. But he's saying, look, look, at, look, at the motive, look at the motive that you're really driving your life. It's selfish ambition, driving your life. He's saying, we don't want any of that. That's not what it means to be the people of God. That's not what it means to be the church. It's no selfish ambition, no conceit. And instead, he's telling us a different way. But instead, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Is that, is that different than how your school works or how your company works? A little different, huh? Quite different. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So he was telling the Philippians in the first century, He's saying, as you go about life as the church gathered and as the church scattered, as you do that, I want you to move to your seat and I want you to count everyone else is more significant than yourself. He's saying, forget yourself. And, 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 and he's not saying you're not important or something. Like, there's a supreme value on who we are as engineers to talk. But as you go about your life, count other people more, more important than you. In other words, Quit thinking so much about yourself. Quit thinking that you're important. Quit getting into that temptation that maybe you kind of think you're, you're more important than other people. But go about your life in the church and in the city thinking about other people is more important than you. Which is completely countercultural to how the Romans operate. Uh, Caesar, Romans, they command, we're Rome. We're important. We're powerful. Do what we say. He's saying, leave, live your life, influence, in a very different way, countercultural. Verse 4 continues the thought. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so right there, Paul's assuming we're to look after our own interests. You need to look after your own interests. You need to like be aware, you need to feed yourself. Have this mind among yourself. 
us, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's so already starting with the gospel here, where he's saying, have, instead of thinking this way, think this way. But if you're in Christ, you already have this mind. The Holy Spirit already lives inside of you. This mind is already taking shape in who you are as individuals and as the people of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. Alright, so do you see the movement of the gospel in this text? Do you see the movement of Jesus, our Savior? He's saying that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who has forever enjoyed perfect unity, perfect love with the Father and the Spirit, like exalted above the heavens, exalted above all things, the second person of the Trinity. This is the movement. You can just look at my arm. Starts here, goes down. Starts here, goes down. Total opposite of Roman culture. Total opposite of Roman leadership and Roman influence. Which is maybe you start your you're, you're moving yourself up, you're exalting yourself, you're getting yourself into this posture in this place of influence nation. Paul is saying true greatness, true influence, true leadership comes from having this mind among yourselves to follow of Jesus, who from here is like person who comes down. What the Son of God did, the Son of God, uh, you, you, you know this is Christianity 101, the Son of God was fully divine and fully human. So, fully divine and fully human. The Son of God added, added humanity to his divinity. 100% divine, the Son of God adds humanity to his divinity. And God himself, the Son of God, becomes human, becomes a person. And, and it becomes the most fragile, vulnerable um, thing, person can be in a medicinal womb, born in an infant, uh, first century, uh, Palestine, born, born, born uh, in Bethlehem, and, and, and grows and lives his life to, to serve others. Um, think about the life, of, the life of Jesus. Think about how Jesus exemplified what Paul is talking about. Jesus, if you look at his ministry, so the gospels, Jesus went about everywhere, uh, counting others more significant than themselves. Than himself. He, he went everywhere, loving other people, serving other people, healing other people, setting other people free. And he did it just because it's a really small part of the world. You get a small part of the world. He did this with his life. And he's bringing true influence and true impact and lasting, lasting change. So he moves down and he humbles himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so now we're getting more out. Did any of you ever have those, uh, those bracelets that were popular around the decade or two, the WWJ bracelets? Do you think those two? 
Humility is thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Self-forgiveness, forgetfulness, where you can forget about yourself, and you look at other people, and you can think about their interests, and you think about how can I help them? How can I serve them? How can I help them flourish and thrive? And you can see all this so kind of cultural. Imagine a church community where a stranger walks in to the church gathered, the church kind of scattered out of the place, where a stranger walks in and goes, oh my gosh, look at this community of people. They're not obsessed with them. They're thinking about one another. They're serving one another. They're, they're looking at the interests of one another. See how uncultural that is in our valley. Oh my gosh, there are cool people that are thinking about Wow, what a loving community with a safe community with a different kind of so it's moving down, thinking about other people. And then it's trusting how do we do that? And Jesus, Jesus is working on that. He exalts us. He, he lifts us. He, he, he uses it. Think about the Bible. Um, what's the one thing, the one thing in the Bible that the, the, the Bible says God exalts? There's one thing in the Bible God says He exalts. You know what that is? One, there's one thing that God exalts. The Bible says there's one character trait that God will exalt. And the word actually shows up in our passage today. One character trait God lifts up. Humility. Humility. God humbles the prideful, but He exalts the humble. There's one character trait in your life. There's one type of person. There's one quality in this church that God will exalt. That God will exalt. And that's humility. As you as an individual, as you as a church, exercise humility, only Jesus can give that to us. Like, you don't try really hard to be a humble person. Otherwise, you're probably pretty bright. You're like, oh, I'm stopping so humble. That not very no, the pathway of humility is like, you know, Jesus is a work of being very good about yourself to put a focus on other people. All of a sudden, somehow you say, oh, my gosh, I guess I'm growing humility. You know it. That's it. But in sure growing humility, the Lord will exalt that. The Lord will use that. Um, and you have the path of pride as an individual or as a church. Um, God will find his need in different ways to continue to kind of shock you Where we follow the leadership pathway of 
culture was often looked more like when you charge your head and exert that power and exert that influence and just look out for me, 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 me. But as the people in the church increasingly are transformed by Jesus, as we increasingly think less of ourselves and look out to the interests of others, as we increasingly follow the model of Jesus, leading them, coming down, serving others, we'll discover that God will really use us and He'll exalt us and He'll exalt our influence and He'll be more than we could imagine for us. Uh, this is one of my prayers for you, one of the church, um, that God would continue to draw you as a people towards this path of vision and influence. Your church needs it, your city needs it, um, this world needs people living and doing mission in this way. It's possible only by the grace of Living God, I pray for me and I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Home of Christ Church. I pray that we would be a people deeply shaped by your call upon our lives here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And we read those first four verses and we think, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this, it's impossible. But we see in verses 5 through 11 that you, Jesus, have come down and through your perfect life and through your perfect death and through your resurrection and ascension, you have given us the grace and the power that we need to be a different kind of people. You forgive ourselves and look out to the interests of others and serve others. And that's the way of your kingdom, that's the way of your church. So pour out fresh your spirit upon us and teach us how to be these kinds of people. 